Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. started looking on the internet for pictures, and it's funny because uh, someone else must have been on their heart. And this first picture, do y'all have the one with a girl embracing her, hugging Christ? This one is showing up on Twitter this week, and I don't know who painted it, but that's a scene of a young lady entering heaven, embracing Jesus for the first time, and experiencing that ultimate love and embrace. Uh, just the face, the picture, the rainbow, the water, the living water. I think just thought that just really captured that moment, and it made me want look forward to that moment myself. Okay, the next one. This one is just a, a long yellow girl in kind of a biblical scene, but also this loving embrace of looking forward to being uh, in the arms of Christ and knowing that all your sins are forgiven and all that needs to be right with the Lord has been done by him, and he's laid down his life for you. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. That's our confidence is in what he has done for us, that we're accepted and beloved in him. This is the next one. This one's a little unusual. This is an actor who was hired to play Jesus in some movie shots for this denomination so they can prepare some literature and maybe some commercials, I guess Easter commercials or something. So this guy, if you, you'll see his face a little closer. When you see how he's dressed, he perfectly looks what you would imagine in your mind Jesus would look like. He's just walking through this village and they're taking shots. Yeah, this is an African village that has vegetation and everything that looks like the Middle East. So they're shooting these commercials. What happens is, is the kids think he's Jesus. And they began to embrace him and love on him as if he was the Lord, because he's all they've ever wanted. And next slide, see the little girl's expression of feeling like she's being accepted and loved by Christ. This guy was a model who rejected the Lord, and he was only hired to do this. And he came to Christ because of how these kids responded to him. That if there's a person in this world that kids would love like that, that I've got to know him. So he came to Christ. Those pictures are out of a British newspaper that I found a whole article on him and his family. He'd gone through a divorce and he had had a tremendously difficult life and there's a big picture of the whole family bonded together and what God had done in their life. And it was in the UK Herald newspaper, London newspaper. And you can see this embrace, this love of Christ, and this knowing that you're accepted and beloved in him. And that's really what it's about. And it's why we meet on Sunday. That's why we walk with him. That's why we trust him. And it just so happened the passage that the Lord had laid on my heart this week ended up being the passage that, uh, to my surprise, was the lectionary reading for today. And the uh, reason why is because in the CEC a couple of years ago changed lectionaries. We changed the the uh, reading, there's, there's a lectionary called Revised Common Lectionary, and most of the churches, Protestant churches, use it. And so we switched out of the one we were using to be in sync with everybody else. And what they did in their lectionary is on this Sunday, they go to John 12. So let's look at John 12, 1 through 8. And it's the famous anointing 
of Jesus by Mary of Bethany after the resurrection of Lazarus. And you may say, why fit it here? You know, why put it here? In the Book of Common Prayer lectionary, it's not here. It's done during Holy Week. And I think the wisdom of placing it here will become self-evident of placing this reading here. So let's go to John 12. I know we've already read it in the gospel reading, but let's read it again because I want you to think about these people and these embraces and this love and this um, knowing that you have been accepted. God knows you completely and that you've been accepted by him and your love completely, even though he knows everything you've ever done. Six weeks before Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived and whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume and he poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to keep himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will also have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Therefore, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Amen. So we see this extravagant love poured out. This is a celebratory dinner being held in honor of Christ because of the resurrection of Lazarus. Okay? Be, be sure when you, you know, I'm teaching, we're te on Sunday nights, we're studying context and how to properly interpret the Bible. You know, and the NIV leaves out an important word. Uh, ESV has it. And it's just a, it's, it's the NIV, just to keep a flow of the story, leaves a word out in the Greek that the other translations keep. And it's the word, therefore. This is happening, therefore, because of what had happened before. We're having this dinner because this is a conclusion to what has gone on before. So when you see that word, therefore, when you're reading your Bible, that's a conclusion. So that's telling you all that's gone before is bringing us to this conclusion. Whenever you see that word, therefore, and I forget the exact names, but the guys in the Middle Ages who designed the chapters and verses didn't always do a good job because they would put a chapter heading and start a chapter right at the word, therefore, which makes you think that's a new thought when it's actually concluding what's gone before it. Okay, like uh, Hebrews 12 is a good example. Therefore, it's therefore it's concluding the entire argument of uh, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. So you look for those words. This is therefore, and this is happening. What I think was happening is this was intended to be a funeral wake, a dinner to celebrate the life of Lazarus who has died and passed away but because of what Christ has done, because of his resurrection power in his life. Lazarus was sitting there alive. So what had been a funeral dirge had become a celebratory dinner of God's and Jesus' all-encompassing power. Can you imagine that? 
So six days before Passover, this reading is usually read the Monday before Easter during Holy Week. And because that's when it's read, not a lot of people are in church on Monday before Easter and Holy Week, and that's why they move it here. Because this is happening right in coinciding with the Palm Sunday celebrations. In John, this is listed right before the Palm Sunday. Why? Because he's king and private in Mary's life, Lazarus' life, and now he's going to be king in public, king over Jerusalem as he comes in as Messiah. This is a kingly chapter, and she's treating him as a king. You anoint someone in the ancient world because you see their kingship, the fact that they rule and reign. But Jesus' kingship is different. It's not manipulative. It's not controlling. It's, it's a change of the heart. It's a motivation through love and grace. It's a benevolent king who rules and reigns in our hearts and lives. So when she pours out this, she interrupts the denter, and notice that Martha is still serving, but she's not being rebuked, as in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, because the issue was not her serving. The issue was being worried and upset about many things. But Martha is serving while Lazarus was among those, reclining at the table with him. So he's the guest of honor. A man that was dead a few days ago is now alive, and he's sitting next to Jesus. Incredible. When she breaks this pure nard, it's uh, like an ointment. It's pretty thick. It's probably about a half a pint or so, or as I'm saying, uh, comparison would be like a, you have a two-liter Coke. You would have half uh, a fourth of a liter is was how much she would have had, how much it would have been like this, very heavy and dense ointment, okay? And uh, it's worth, if you look in your footnotes in your Bible, it's worth 300 denarii, which a denarii is a day's wage. So it's worth an entire year's income for her, okay? And so uh, this would have been set aside, possibly some kind of retirement or some kind of uh, something used to, as a savings account, in a sense, because they don't have IRAs or Social Security. They would have invested in things that they could sell off as they get older in order to fund their lot, fund their income. But she pours it all out on Jesus, when she pours it out on his feet, she's saying, I'm your servant. She's interrupting dinner. She's touching him physically in a way that that culture didn't want men and women to touch. She pours out this expensive perfume because this is her expression of devotion, her extravagant love. And as she is pouring this out, she's saying to you, my king, I am your servant. This is an unusual scene, and we've read it. It's hard for us to fathom just how uh, overwhelming a scene this would have been in someone's home. As she's pouring this out on his feet, the room fills up with the smell of the perfume, and it's so strong, it probably stays on his body, that smell, through the entire Holy Week, and even in his death. He smells the sweetness of her love and devotion for him, also, she tells us that this perfume is the, re the reason for it. And God's good purposes was to anoint him for his burial. I think she knew what it meant for him to die and rise again on her behalf. 
The Bible consistently tells us that people in the Gospels misunderstand. When Jesus tells them that he's going to suffer and die at the hands of the Pharisees, at the hands of the people, and then he will rise again, nobody really gets it. Not till after the resurrection until they get what he was saying. You know, you know the famous thing where Peter tells him, don't say these things. You know, and he tells them to get behind his Satan because they're not grasping it. That someone's going to have to take their place and suffer their just punishment that they might be set free to know God. And he's going to one who's going to die and rise again. I think with no one understood this with the exception of one person. And that was Mary of Bethany. She did this because she knew what was coming and she was preparing him. An act of devotion, an act of love, a statement to the world. I'm your servant. You are king. I love you and I don't care how much this costs. I just want to express to you my utter and complete and extravagant devotion. When someone does this kind of thing, it's, it rattles and exposes hearts. And here we see that Judas begins to think, what a waste. We could have sold this. He didn't see the value in its expression of devotion and worship. He only could look at it as, as its value in terms of money. Why would you have all this stuff to worship? You just work a show outside. Oh, we spend the money to have a building so we can worship in a place to utterly devote to the Lord. We want to ex express to him our love and devotion. She wanted to express to him her utter love and devotion and gave all that she had and poured it out on him to prepare him for what he was about to go through. It says, and one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later was to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It sounds real super spiritual, but there's something deeper going on. It was your, it's, the, the, um, John tells us it's worth a year's wages, but John then tells us he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and a keeper of the money bag. He had the super spirituality that he really, all he really cared about was the poor, and he didn't understand why you would waste this kind of thing on Jesus and why you would waste this kind of uh, perfume and this kind of money on the Lord. And uh, he would, all he thought was, why this waste? All he could think of was in terms of money. But also, he made it sound super spiritual because he wanted the money for the poor, but actually, John tells us he was dipping into the money bag. Beware. Of those, I know there are poor and needy. And the Bible tells us that believers to reach out to the poor and needy. Deuteronomy 32.11 is a real clear command for Israel and the church to reach out to the poor and needy. But be beware of politicians who are constantly talking about reaching out to the poor and needy. There's a lot of times all they're doing saying, yes, look at this wonderful need. Yes, we need to be reaching out to them. Yes, we need to be pouring into the money. But look where the money might be going. Into their pockets. Into their friends' pockets. Into so-called ministries that are supposed to help these people, but it just, it just creates wealth for the ministry and never touches the poor. Give you a good example of that this week. Southern Poverty Law Center in Montgomery. All these years claiming to be standing up for the underprivileged, standing up against discrimination, 
What we've learned is that everyone who was on that staff was pocketing a lot in their pockets with the money and the donations. And they were treating their staff, sexually harassing their staff, and then not hiring minorities on staff, even though they were advocating for hiring minorities on staff. They were just using the money for the poor to line their own pockets. And this is what Judas is doing. We should be helping the poor. Yes, we should be. But beware. Why is someone saying that? Are they genuinely wanting to help those in need or they want to line their pockets? And that's what Judas was doing. And this gives us an early indication of something that's going on in his heart. We know because we're looking back that Judas was a betrayer and the, and the writers of the Gospels tell us he was. What we don't know is because we look back, we already know what happens. But if you look at him as a person, he looks like the most adequate of all the apostles. He looks like the one who has it together. He looks like the polished guy who knows how to talk. He knows how to stir a crowd. And so much so, look, Jesus even gave him the money bags to handle the finances. He must be so reliable. So beware sometimes in your life when you're comparing yourself to others and you're thinking, oh, look how great their life is. You may not know it all. And the apostles were shocked and surprised when they found out Judas was the betrayer because he looked like the one who had it all together. Okay. So when Jesus, <clears throat> Judas here is a thief and he's helping himself to it, what does this tell us? Jesus was stolen from. You ever had that sick feeling you walk outside and your car is missing? I've had it happen twice. You park your car, you're going to work. Someone walks up to you and goes, I didn't know you were here at work today. Yeah, I mean, just parked right over there. I, I, I didn't know you were here at work today. I didn't see your car. Yeah, I'm just parked over there. Well, I didn't see it. You walk out there, and you don't see it either. <laughs> They've taken your car. It's that sick, used feeling. Jesus can relate. Because one of his own apostles was pulling from the money back. Jesus could trust the Lord with knowing that he is getting ripped off. And that also causes financial problems if someone's ripping you off. He knows what it's like to go through financial problems. And what I say is, the book of Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. He was tempted so he'd be upset and angry because someone was stealing from him. He was tempted to not trust the Lord because someone was making his financial life more difficult. So he knows those things and he knows and relates to you when you go through those things. But I noticed, I love this verse 7. Leave her alone. Jesus says to Judas and the naysayers, Leave her alone. The Lord will always go to the defense for those who have poured out their hearts and lives for him. He said, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. We don't know why she was saving it. Possibly, you know, as I mentioned, a dowry or a retirement income. But in the ultimate purpose of God, she was saving it for his grand purposes to prepare Jesus for his own burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. He's not downplaying the importance of giving to the poor, but he is upplaying the importance that he needs to be the sole and primary source of your devotion of your heart. 
Okay? You really can't have the poor unless Christ is first in your life. Because what they need is Christ. You can help them physically, but they need Christ. But you need Christ too. Because if you're just giving to the poor to make yourself feel better or to share or to see the need, it will exhaust you because the need is so ever-present and so big and so large that you'll burn out and become angry. So Christ must be first. Him regenerating your heart, Him showing you what the true need is, Him directing you to who uh, is most needed to be touched by you so that you won't burn out. But He's saying, I must be first. Let me throw up a couple of things, and this is that we won't go through them all real quick, but we're going to go through them real quick. And just that first panel, guys. Okay, this is my... Uh, definition of what's going on in this chapter. Christian devotion is the spontaneous act of extravagant love, which ignores all social conventions and practical logic in order to pour out all on Jesus, all adoration, praise, and honor. So your desire is you're in love with Jesus. You're willing to do anything it takes, even if it makes breaking conventions and social norms in order for people to know that that love for him. Okay? Let's go to the next one. This is uh, what extravagant love. That's the title of my sermon, by the way. I didn't mention it up front. Extravagant love is unreserved. So she pours out her heart to him and holds nothing back. Mary Bethany, extravagant love is unashamed. She doesn't care if it looks as she's embarrassed or not. If people think that she is acting, crossing lines, sexual propriety lines, she doesn't care. Because all I care about it. When you, when you take that ointment and you're bathing his feet with your hair, what you're saying is, my hands are too rough and I only want something soft to touch the Lord because he is so beautiful and so holy. She's actually taking the, pouring it out on him and then using her hair like a towel to wipe it up and down. This kind of intimacy and love is she's not worried about being embarrassed. Okay. Extravagant love is unexpected. We don't, they didn't expect that kind of uh, expression in the middle of dinner. Extravagant love is unrehearsed. Our gratitude toward him flows spontaneous out of thankful heart. This is not, you know, she didn't have a five-step plan to how, to how to love the Lord. She wasn't doing a discipleship program or keeping a little workbook. It came out of her love for the Lord spontaneously and overflowed. And extravagant love is unreal. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that gives us that kind of devotion and love for him. Okay, in the next frame. That's in our attitude. And extravagant love in our attitude and extravagant love in our actions. Passionate love is expressive. It's going to be seen. People are going to know it. Passionate love is excessive. It's over a top and giving our adoration and praise to the Lord. Passionate love for Christ is external. There's no hiding it. People will see it because they'll know it within our hearts. Passionate love is extensive. It involves every area of our lives. And passionate love is extraordinary. The world never will understand our convictions, our loyalty, our love for Christ, our passion for him. In spite of Hollywood and in spite of Twitter, a movie called Unplanned is the fourth highest rated movie over the weekend, over the past week. 
It's the story of Abby Johnson, who was a director of Planned Parenthood. And through uh, her experience in Planned Parenthood, she came to understand that abortion was wrong, child was sacred, each child was sacred, and she came to Christ. And they've done a movie about her. Twitter this week closed the account part of the day, uh, claim, you know, claiming this was offensive. Then they returned the account, and then all of a sudden, instead of having like 250,000 followers, they roughly had dropped to like 57,000 followers. People throughout the day, their accounts were being dropped. Twitter claims it was just a glitch, but I just don't believe that. Okay. But in spite of all that, Hollywood was shocked. I looked on the Hollywood Reporter website, and they were shocked that a movie that was pro-life would be fourth in the country in sales. At the same time, television stations, well-known networks, would not allow the advertising for the movie to air because they didn't want it to be seen. Abby Johnson's pouring out her heart and her devotion is extravagant love for Christ. She's not afraid of being embarrassed or challenged, and she wants the world to see the beauty of human life. Okay. Now you think the temptation as a preacher is to say this, oh, let's all be like Mary, and let's be more expressive and more spontaneous in our love. But this isn't about Mary. This is about Jesus. Where did this love come from? Where does this devotion come from? It came from seeing a risen uh, a Jesus who loved her, who loved her family, and who knew her intimately and yet still loved her. There's a book that um, Frank Viola put out a couple years ago, and it was called God's Favorite Place on Earth. Okay? So you open the book, and you're, it's a little 100-page you know, book, and you start flimming through it thinking, what's the place? What's the place he's talking about? And, I, and what he does is he takes this story, and he shows that God, Jesus, favorite place, who is fully human and fully God, his favorite place on earth was Bethany because that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. He loved that family and that family loved him. And this devotion poured out of our heart because of what he had done. First John four eleven tells us he, we love him because he first loved us. Mary is responding this way. She's not generating this out of her own effort, do better, try harder. She's responding to someone who's already loved her. And when she looks into his eyes, into his face, she knows that he knows everything about her and yet still loves her. And so the response is, Lord, I want to love you the same way. It's not something you can generate, but it's something, a response that you have to what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. You want to be passionate. You want to be extravagant because he's passionate about you. He's extravagant about you. You know, that song, I Can Only Imagine, he talks about, I want to imagine what it'd be like to dance with you, Lord, at my side, to be with you. It's the Lord who's done this work in Mary's heart. 
It's the Lord that causes her heart to overflow. It's the Lord. It's, it's the Lord. She's seen this wonderful, powerful experience of Jesus and his, her, his love for her family and for her, and her response is just devotion. So you, hopefully, prayerfully, everyone, in the room, you've encountered Christ. He's looked you in the face, and he knows everything about you. And he loves you. And prayerfully, you have surrendered your heart fully to him. And like Mary, you want to show back to him your love for him, gratitude for all he's done, your extravagant, your passionate love for him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the scene, for this whole story of this family. And for you are the king, but you are a king who loves and pours out and conquers hearts and melts lives with your love. Lord, open our eyes to the power of your love for us as individuals. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.